I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth in Mission. We know everybody's focused on the presidential race, but there are a lot of local and state candidates and ballot measures that need your attention, too. Here's a replay of the Chronicle's Road to Election Night virtual event, which I hosted on October 1st. For more important election coverage, check out our voter guide at sfchronicle.com slash voter guide. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and thanks for tuning in to our Road to Election 2020 Voter Guide Live. Joining me tonight are Joe Garofoli, our senior political writer and the host of the It's All Political podcast. You might notice he has an awesome t-shirt on. Can you spin around? I'm definitely a modeling right here. (laughs) Am Am I in frame? You're, you're good. I read okay. so I can vote. You'll hear more about this wonderful t-shirt later. We also have Trisha Thadani, who covers San Francisco City Hall, and Dustin Gardner, who covers state politics in Sacramento. We know you've been hearing a lot about a certain race on the November 3rd ballot, and you're probably still recovering from watching that horrific presidential debate the other night. But there are a lot of other really important issues that need your attention, and we'll be hitting on many of them tonight. We'll talk about the key ballot measures on the California and San Francisco ballots, the city's Board of Supervisor races, and the state Senate race. Our goal is to get away from the silliness and focus on the serious policy issues at stake while also having fun. You can submit a question using the Q&A module on the bottom right-hand corner of your screen at any time during the event, and we'll get to some of those at the end. We've got more great election event nights planned. Check them out at sfchronicle.com slash election events. Before we begin, it's important to explain one thing which can be confusing to readers, and that's the difference between the newsroom and the editorial board. The newsroom has reporters who objectively cover politics and key candidates and measures, and the editorial board is comprised of people who interview the candidates and ballot measure proponents and tell you who, who they think you should vote for. Neither side interferes with the other's work in any way. You can see all of our election coverage and the editorial board's endorsements in our new voting guide, which will be available Tuesday at sfchronicle.com vote. And now let's start our show. We'll begin with a look at the most interesting and significant measures on the California ballot. So Joe Garofoli, you're up first. A biggie that is getting a lot of attention is Prop 15, which is related to the infamous Prop 13 of the 1970s. What exactly would this one do? Well, it would, uh, this would arguably want to be one of the most important ballot measures that we're going to be voting on this year. Uh, It would change part of Proposition 13. Uh, That's the the 1978 ballot measure that limited property taxes, property tax increases to no more than 2% a year. Now, I, I feel obligated, whenever you talk about Proposition 13, you have to give a little trigger warning because <laughs> this ballot measure will not affect residential property, not affect your homes, not affect your farms. It will only affect commercial and industrial property. This, what this would do, would it would close a loophole on how property taxes are, are calculated. Now commercial property is only reassessed when more than 50% of the property is sold. So to get around that for years, people will buy less than 50% of an interest uh, in a property and keep their taxes the same way. So Prop Prop 15 would reassess properties at least every three years. And it would exempt folks who own less than $3 million worth of property. It would not begin until 2022, and it will be gradually phased in until 2025. The impact of this could be huge. It could raise somewhere between eight to 12 billion dollars more annually in California. 60% of that would go to cities and local governments. 40% would go to the schools. In the Bay Area, that passing Prop 15 would mean 733 million more annually for San Francisco schools and local governments, 652 million more for Alameda County, and 770 million more for San Mateo County. And that's according to USC. So, you know, people who are behind this say, thank God, We've had to slash our, our budgets, our school budgets, our city budgets after the, after the pandemic. So they're very much in favor of this. Uh, opponents say, whoa, wait a minute. There, there's the, we just had this pandemic. This is the worst time to raise property taxes. They say these property taxes won't just be raised on wealthy corporations who can afford it. They're going to trickle down to all the people who rent. 
uh, for example, you have the Golden Gate Restaurant Association, the major industry group here. They said they're worried that it will hurt restaurants because you know, the last six months they've been largely closed uh, and, and they're worried about that. Now, there's been some studies that, that disprove that. Beacon Economics, major uh, firm in California, national firm said it's unlikely that small business owners would be hurt by Prop 15. Most rents are determined by uh, local market factors. Uh, another study said 92% of the money that's raised on this is coming, will be paid by 10% of the commercial and industrial property owners. Now, this, uh, this got on the ballot. This is by, uh, by mostly from unions. The California Teachers Association has pushed uh, $12 million in, into this. Uh, the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, uh, which is funded by Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, has, has put several million dollars in it. Supporters have raised about $42 million. The opponents have raised about $30 million, most of it from the California Business Roundtable and other business groups. Uh, endorsements, it's been endorsed by Governor Newsom, Mayor Lyndon Breed, Oakland Mayor Louis Schaaf, major unions, the CTA, California Teachers Association, and the SEIU. Uh, opposing it, a lot of the business groups, state chambers of commerce. Uh, polls right now have this you know, winning, 51% uh, of likely voters are supporting it, according to the Public Policy Institute of uh, California survey last month. Uh, a Berkeley poll, uh, Berkeley IGS poll found about the same. Uh, but I wanted to show you an ad that the, uh, the opponents are running. Can we, let's show that now, and then we'll I'll talk about it on the other side. 57 years ago, we opened. This year, the pandemic closed us twice. Now, special interest put Proposition 15 on the ballot, raising property taxes and rents on small business, and they admit homeowners are next. A worse recession isn't the time for the biggest property tax hike ever. No, on 15. I like many political ads, they're trying to pull out your heartstrings, but again, I want to call out when they say, your homes are next, they're coming your homes, not your homes. <laughs> not your farms. <laughs> just your, oops, I, owe, I owe Isla on that one. Uh, just your commercial property. <laughs> All right. <laughs> should, we, should we move to uh, Prop yes, 16? To Prop 16, Joe. The, um, you're going to explain this. It's related to affirmative action in the public sector. So take it away. I have no props on this one. Uh, there is a, this is another very important ballot measure that would affect a lot of Californians, both in our ability to get jobs and our ability to go to college or have our, our kids go to college. It would bring affirmative action back to California. Here's what it would do. It would allow state universities and government offices to again consider race, gender, and ethnicity as factors, not the only factor, but as factors in deciding whether to admit kids to school or, or hire them or, and such. Uh, and I say again, because this is the way it used to be in California until 1996. That's when 55% of California voters passed Prop 209, which banned the use of race, gender, and ethnic preferences uh, in, those, in, in getting into school and, and in getting contracts. So before, let's say a state office could say, hey, we'd like to set a goal of hiring that 40% of our contracts go to minority-owned contractors. But they couldn't. They still can't right now. So now the proponents have wanted to overturn Prop 209 from the day, uh, like the day after it passed. Uh, but uh, the state legislator put it on the ballot this year, shortly after the uh, death of George Floyd, and it was seen as a way to address the structural and systemic racism that exists in our country. Uh, now if this passes, for many of us is going to see this, the effect of this law through our children when they're applying to, to college. Um, so even though, Here's, and here's a key stat. Even though Black and Latino students are 60% of California's high school enrollment in 2019, they were just 28% of the, the freshmen admitted to the UC system that year. Now, opponents say, hey, if this passes, it's just another form of discrimination. Uh, State Senator Lingling Chang from Southern California, she said the, the answer to racial discrimination is not more discrimination, which is what this bill proposes. Uh, the endorsements uh, basically every top Democrat in the state, from Senators Harris and Feinstein, Governor Newsom, whole house delegation, uh, major public interest unions, uh, and um, uh, even, even uh, corporations like Kaiser Permanente and PG&E. Uh, the opposition's major Republican, part, the Republican Party and uh, Republicans up and down the state. 
Proponents have raised about $12 million for this one, much of it from wealthy individuals like Quinn Delaney. She's a founder in the Econati Foundation in East Bay, a liberal donor. Uh, also, Patty Quillen, who's the wife of, the, of Netflix founder Reese Hastings, and Steve and Connie Ballmer, the uh, former top Microsoft executive who now owns the Los Angeles Clippers. The opponents have only raised $1 million so far. Um, and so uh, the polls, uh, but the polls, if you would have asked me this when this came out, I was like, but in this, in this climate, at this time, this is the perfect time almost, presidential year, turnout is a lot different for this to pass. It is, it is behind in the polls right now. 32% favor it, 44% oppose it, but 24% are undecided. And I've talked to pollsters about this, and apparently it's, uh, it's the wording is confusing on this. And, you know, because it's like, wait, has to, this is overturning Prop 209. What's that? When was this? It's, so that's behind. Uh, it's, but it's still, it's in, for, for poll numbers that, like that, it's in trouble right now. But still, one out of every four voters has not decided. Interesting. Thank you. So we'll turn to you, Dustin Gardner. Let's take Prop 18, um, which is related to the voting age. Yeah, so Prop 18 is probably the least complicated ballot proposition on, uh, that the state has on this year. There's 12. I would say this is probably the most straightforward um, of the state propositions. All it does is it allows 17-year-olds to vote in primary elections or special elections. These are state-run elections. Um, it, and, and they can vote as long as they will be 18 in time for the next general election. Um, there's really not much opposition to this. Um, state legislators have been trying to put it um, on the ballot for years, and it actually got held up in the legislature in the past. Um, but Assemblyman Kevin Mullen from San Mateo, he's kind of been the one spearheading this effort. And this year he got it through. Um, and like I said, there's not really any opposition. There's only been a few hundred thousand spent by um, civil rights groups and a couple of other groups that support this. And yeah, pretty straightforward. Cool. An interesting fact is that some students at Lowell High were responsible for getting it on the ballot. Yeah, exactly. Um, now can you address um, Prop 21 about rent control? Okay, Prop 21 is a little more complicated. Um, this is, in some ways, this is a rematch of 2018. There was another rent control initiative on the ballot a couple of years ago that failed by, by a pretty wide margin. Um, this initiative scales back the approach to, to um, expanding rent control rather than, you know, kind of um, eviscerating a lot of the 1995 law that prevents San Francisco and other cities um, from expanding their rent control ordinances. This would, would, um, would change the law in a more limited sense. It would be on a 15-year rolling basis that cities could have ordinances that would prohibit um, rent from increasing beyond a certain percentage uh, as long as the property is older than 15 years. Um, you know, the, this, the proponents of this initiative, the biggest driver has been the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. It's a San Francisco group. The leader, Michael Weinstein, he, he you know, kind of bankrolled this initiative two years ago, and he's done so again. Um, they spent about $23 million, and their whole argument is they, they think because of the pandemic, because of the worsen it, you know, the housing situation that gets worse every year, the homelessness situation get, gets worse every year. They think Californians are going to be more likely to support a scaled back version of this. Um, on the flip side, there's been a massive campaign against this. Um, developers, real estate companies have spent more than 52 million. And their whole argument is they, they say this would actually reduce the amount, uh, the amount of housing stock available because it would create a disincentive for developers to want to build new projects if they know that they, you know, they don't have really as much control over setting uh, market rate rents in those fi fi uh, first 15 years. Um, so really, it's generally a rematch. Um, and, you know, it's, I guess at this point, it seems like this one could really go either direction, um, given kind of the new dynamics with, with the state in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. All right, and then um, one of the most significant ones is uh, Prop 22, which should answer the question once and for all about whether Uber and Lyft and other companies can hire people as independent contractors rather than make them employees. So can you tell me more about that? Yeah, Prop 22 is probably the initiative that people will hear more about than anything else this year. Um, last year, the state legislature passed AB5, which was a, a sweeping labor law that basically said all these gig companies that have these independent contractors, um, and, but it applied to many other workers too, but it's often the debate was focused on gig companies. It basically just said, 
that they could no longer treat those people as contractors. They had to be treated as full-time employees that have the same benefits and the same rights um, as any other worker. So, so after this law passed, the tech companies, Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash, they wanted to create an exemption in this law, and they've spent more than 200 million, almost $200 million bankrolling this initiative that would create a caveat in AB5 so their delivery drivers um, who are picking people up or delivering food to people's homes, they, they, they would be considered independent contractors and exempt from the law. The initiative would give those workers some minimum wage guarantees, and it would um, give them some, you know, some minimum health care benefits, and it would protect against you know, sexual harassment or workplace harassment. But in a lot of ways, they would still be um, independent contractors. They wouldn't have the full scope of paid leave and all the other benefits that state law guarantees people. Um, so on the one hand, we've had the tech companies really pouring money into this. On the other hand, we have labor unions that pushed really hard for AB5. They've been in, outspent about 18 to one, the unions that is. Um, they're, they're really making this their top priority. And even with all that money the tech companies spent, um, we've seen that the, that the polling suggests that the public is, in a lot of cases, favoring this initiative. And so far it looks like the unions are slated to win this one. And in some ways, the tech companies have really pushed their hand on this. They've ran ads, you know, um, saying that if, if this passes, that people will lose Uber and Lyft in the state. They've made a lot of claims that uh, the unions say has just kind of undercut their credibility. Um, so I think we'll see a lot more spending on this and a lot more ads in the, in the weeks to come. Okay. And then if you can touch on um, Prop 24 about consumer privacy laws. Yeah, so Prop 24, this deals with the California Consumer Privacy Act. This is the big privacy law that the state passed about two years ago. This is an attempt by some data privacy advocates to expand that initiative, and they want um, to expand it, and their primary um, concern in expanding it is they want to create um, voter protection for the law so um, state legislators can't water it down in the future. At, right after the law was passed in 2018, there was a big effort, um, again, by the tech companies to try to water down parts of this privacy law and create um, exceptions. And really, Prop 24 um, cements it in state law so it can't be changed. And that's kind of the primary argument for it. Um, but it has divided some data privacy advocates. Um, some of them say that, it, that there are drafting flaws and that it creates a situation or furthers a situation where people might have to pay a company a fee to opt out of the use of their data. Okay. And Joe, turning back to you, um, there's been a big issue in San Francisco and now California as well about cash bail and whether that's a fair way to determine who can be released from jail after they're arrested, but before the trial starts. So can you explain how Prop 25 would tackle that issue? Yes. And, and this, again, this is another important ballot measure that would, that would seek to address the systemic racism and classism that's inherent in our criminal justice system. It would replace cash bail, uh, the cash bail system that now exists. So, you know, think about it. Now, when you get arrested, thrown in jail, wealthy people can pay the bail company to get out. Well, many poor folks can't pay bail. It, it averages about $5,000. Blacks, Latinos, Native Americans are twice as likely to be waiting in jail uh, to be bailed out because they can't afford to pay it. So if Prop 25 passes, it would replace the cash bail system with an algorithm to determine who it would be a, a flight risk based on, on a variety of factors. Uh, the little history here, uh, astute political observers will remember that uh, back in 2018, Governor Jerry Brown signed a very law, the law that would eliminate cash bail. It was immediately opposed by the bail industry, and that's how we have that on the ballot right now. Uh, the bail industry and people oppose it say, you know, this is sure there needs to be bail reform. This is not the way to do it. Of course, their, their industry is at risk if uh, this passes. Uh, and, and there's some uh, concerns about what, what that algorithm would be, what uh, inherent bias figures would be uh, in, in the algorithm. Uh, it's endorsed by Governor Newsom, the SEIU, California Teachers Association, a bunch, a bunch of other uh, unions. Um, the money the proponents have raised about $8 million, $5 million of that have uh, come from Stephen Connie Balmer, again, the owner of the uh, Los Angeles Clippers, former Microsoft exec. Uh, the opponents have raised $9 million, most of that coming from the bail industry. Right now, uh, this is 39%, the polls say 39% of the people favor it, 
32% oppose it, but 29% are still undecided. It's one of those that's, that's kind of uh, off the radar still for a lot of people. Uh, and you know, when you see that high undecided figure, that means people are like, they, they, don't, they haven't heard enough about it. So we might see a little bit more of a push on that in the next uh, few weeks. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. And now we'll switch over to San Francisco politics, which are never dull. Um, Tricia, thanks for sticking it out at City Hall. Um, there are several important ballot measures that will shape how the city emerges from the COVID-19 pandemic and its economic misery, and three of them are tax measures, F, I, and L. Can you explain what each one of those would do? Yes. So, um, so I'm going to start by kind of lumping all the tax measures together and um, kind of explaining the differences. So Prop F um, is probably the most boring one, but I would also argue it is the most important one. Um, so to put it simply, um, so San Francisco currently just has this really complicated business tax structure where you have a payroll tax, you have grocery grocery receipts tax, you have a business registration tax. In its most simple form, Prop F would just take all this and it would streamline it and simplify it. Um, and that, you know, it would like phase out some and would phase in others. And I'm not going to bore you with those details because I would need to read directly off of the, uh, the voter guide to get it right. But um, I guess the takeaway here is that it would simplify it and it would lead to about 100 million a year uh, for San Francisco's general fund. Now, the not boring thing about this tax and the really and why it's so important um, is because city or San Francisco, which currently faces a $1.5 billion de deficit, which I don't think I even need to put into perspective of how big that is. Um, so our mayor, London Breed, and uh, the board of supervisors, they closed this deficit um, for the next two fiscal years without resorting to layoffs, without resorting to service cuts, but they did that on the hopes that um, this ballot measure would pass. So, and there's other things that they're kind of banking on, like that there will be some modest economic recovery, which, uh, um, and that, you know, the projections won't um, be higher than a $1.5 billion deficit as the year goes on, et cetera. Um, but it's really this ballot measure that is key to keeping our budget intact. And if that doesn't happen, um, the city would be on the hook for about $100 million a year, which in the context of a $1.5 billion budget deficit doesn't seem like that much, but what uh, the mayor, some supervisors, the city controller have all confirmed to me is that we would fill that gap with layoffs, service cuts, et cetera. So things like our everyday services would feel an impact from that. So amazingly, because of how important this is, uh, Prop F has kind of done the inevitable in City Hall, which you know, Heather, from covering it for so long, that it got unanimous support from the mayor and from the board of supervisors because they all understand um, what's at stake. Um, and that doesn't happen very often. And it really, <laughs> it really does it. It really does it. So, um, but also enmeshed in this complicated tax proposal. Um, so to take you guys back a little bit, if you guys remember proposition, the old proposition C uh, in 20, correct me if I'm wrong, 2018, it was the homelessness tax. Yeah, where that's right. Tax big, big businesses to raise money for homeless services. It passed, um, which meant that we were collecting the money for it, but then it got uh, wrapped up in a lawsuit. So basically we were collecting the money for homelessness, but not able to spend it. Um, and this also happened for another proxy. And if this is a, a good case for us coming up with a new way to name our ballot measures, but this also happened with another ballot measure that had to do with childcare. So this proposition, this really complicated one would also basically basically unlock those funds. Um, and so before a few weeks ago, um, the city had a really compelling case for passing Prop F because 
they were like, it's these homelessness funds. That's like $300 million for shelters and the people you see on the streets and, you know, which anyone who lives in San Francisco would at least, that would at least like kind of get to them might be um, a good uh, case for them. But the Supreme Court two weeks ago, they actually uh, shot down the appeal for a proxy and unlocked that money themselves. So while that's great for the city, the Prop F campaign kind of lost their most compelling argument, the one that people could actually like latch on to and could see how that might affect their everyday life. Um, and, you know, the childcare money is still wrapped in the Supreme Court. So Prop F would also unlock that money. Unfortunately, it's not as well. Child care is very important. Um, I know there's two parents on the screen, but it's just to the average person, I would think it's not as compelling for them. So now, it's very compelling. It is. <laughs> I don't have kids, so I might be a little biased. But um, so, so basically, now I was talking to some of the supporters of this, and they're kind of worried that they they lost that that piece. While it's still great that the money is unlocked, it's actually. They, you know, it's, they're going to have to kind of change their messaging on this. Um, so, yeah, that is Prop F. Um, and so this measure was crafted as like kind of a compromise measure between Mayor London Breed and the Board of Supervisors. And the mayor's like biggest hope of this was that it would kind of stave off the supervisors from putting other taxes on the ballot. Because when you have multiple taxes that, you know, the worry is that an average voter would look at this and be like, that's just a lot of taxes. I'm just not going to vote for any of them. Um, but it didn't work out that way because as to my earlier point, it's hard to get the mayor and board of supervisors to agree on stuff. So that brings us to um, our two other ballot measures or, or two other tax measures. Um, one of them is a transfer tax. That's Proposition I. Um, there's a fantastic article in the San Francisco Chronicle that ran today about it. So you should, you should check it out with uh, me and uh, Roland Lee. Um, so basically the transfer tax, would it would double the real estate tax on sales of 10 million or more. Um, and to put in perspective, I mean, 10 million is like a big commercial building in the financial district or maybe, or like a big multi- unit apartment building. Um, and so the idea is that it would only target those who can, who can pay for it. Um, it would double that rate that they would have to pay. Um, but now more than 2.1 million has been raised against this um, to defeat this measure. And now hearing the numbers that Dustin and Joe were saying about how much would like, like the 20 something million that was raised for some measures, 2.1 doesn't sound like that much, but in the context of San Francisco politics, this is the most amount of money that has been spent on any measure, whether it's a, you know, a, a measure or a candidate race or anything. So it's in the context of this election, it's a lot of money. So it shows you how, and that came from the Chamber of Commerce. Um, you have a lot of like, like big landlords and real estate companies that have donated to this. So it shows you how much they don't want it. Um, and so, you are going to start seeing, or if you haven't already, for the pro-Prop-I people, that this money that is raised is going to go toward affordable housing production and rent relief for those who can't pay rent due to COVID-19. That is not entirely true. Um, I've gotten a bunch of ads that have said that, and I'm like, this is really misleading. I mean, though they have committed to the, the money going there, the Board of Supervisors, pass a resolution which isn't binding or has no legislative teeth or anything. They said it will go there, but this money is going into the general fund, which means that, you know, years down the road, the money can be spent anyway. You just have like commitment uh, from these supervisors that will go there, but there's also a lot of seats up for grabs uh, this year. So, and then on the opposing side, you, you, you're going to hear similar arguments that, um, Joe and Dustin were saying for some of the uh, their tax measures that, you know, it's going to hurt small businesses, it's going to make the cost of building, uh, you know, more expensive, and that you're just going to, you know, drive more people out of the city. Um, and opponents will similarly probably try to pull on your heartstrings um, and, you know, show the small business owner, show, you know, the 
the grandma landlord, stuff like that. So just, just be more, you're going to see a huge onslaught of ads against Proposition I. So just be discerning when, when you see those. And the last tax measure is called the CEO tax. Um, this is probably like the most buzzy one that's currently on the ballot. Um, so basically it would tax, um, it would tax companies who have CEOs that are paid. Um, I'm just going to pull up the number here because I forgot it. Um, so it would tax executives who rake in more than a hundred times the salary of their average employee. Um, this is another one where the messaging you're going to see is that this money is going to go to mental health services, but this is also another general fund tax and they've just said that this is where the money will go, but there's no legislative guarantee. That's a taxes. Wow, good job. Okay, um, then we have Prop B, which is related to our very dirty city. Um, this comes from Supervisor Matt Haney's push to reform the Public Works Department after the corruption saga with its former director, Mohammed Nuru. So um, what is the supervisor asking voters to do and how would this measure change public works and hopefully clean up our city? Yeah, so basically um, this would split the Department of Public Works into two departments. So one would become the Department of Sanitation, um, which that would be responsible for like the very on the ground things that we see every single day, like cleaning the sidewalks, maintaining trash cans, um, while then the other part that's remaining um, would be, this, or the second department would be like the engineering, the design, the product management, um, Supervisor Matt Haney, who is just long sparred with the Department of Public Works um, over the very dirty conditions in his district, to put it lightly, which is like a tenderloin, soma, et cetera. Um, he says that doing so would streamline uh, these two, two parts, especially when it comes to cleaning. Um, but the opponents say that it would just add more bureaucracy to things because there would also be a commission that's put on top of this to sort of oversee this department. Um, and that, you know, that adds to just more time to, for approval for projects, more people who have say uh, in what they want done, et cetera. So that's, that's Prop B. Okay. And then there's also an important effort in Proposition H to make it a lot easier to open a small business in San Francisco. So what would that do? Yeah. So Exactly, you said make it easier um, to open a small business. Now, the little bit of history about this one. Um, so the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, I want to say last year or a year and a half ago, whatever, not too long ago, um, they tried passing basically everything that is in this ballot measure through legislation. Now, the difference of doing it through legislation and um, and through the ballot is that with legislation, um, it's generally easier to amend. Um, where if you go to the voters, for one thing, you need to, in most cases, you need to go to the voters again to change something in that legislation. So um, basically the Board of Supervisors, supervisor, former Supervisor Valley Brown um, tried, uh, push, with Mayor London Breed, tried pushing a lot of these reforms through, which in their essence would make it easier to open up out like uh, for you to use outdoor space that you already have. You could be more flexible in your uses. Like you could have someone today use the example of a coffee shop with like a skateboard shop, um, et cetera. So just like kind of common sense things that you, you wouldn't think would be hard to do, but in our city is, is very difficult. Um, and it would streamline the permitting process. Um, but the, the, the Board of Supervisors last year watered this proposal down so much where it basically became irrelevant. Um, I was talking to Valley Brown today and she was like, I don't really think it, it did much because of how watered down it was. So now uh, this year, Mayor London Breed was like, I'm not going to bother going through the Board of Supervisors again because I'm, it's just basically the same board and they're just going to water it down again. So I'm going to go straight to the voters. Um, so like I said, this would just make it kind of easier for things. But the, um, I think one of the biggest changes it would make is that it would cut down the public notification period, which basically means like less public input. So the people who are against it, that's kind of what they hinge on of saying, well, the public should have an ability to, you know, have input in, in uh, businesses that come into their neighborhood. So, but that one, it really has a lot of support um, for the mayor, for the board, et cetera, so. 
Okay. And then you're also following the always exciting Board of Supervisors. All of the odd-numbered districts are up this year. Um, Supervisor Sandra Fewer in District 1 declined to run, and Norman Yee in District 7 is termed out. So those two are wide open. Uh, which races are you following with particular interest, and in? what would you say is um, most at stake for San Francisco in terms of the makeup of the board? Yeah, so in terms of what's at stake, um, currently the Board of Supervisors isn't exactly aligned uh, politically with Mayor London Breed. Um, so that's really been the tension for the last two, three years um, since Breed has been in office, where she doesn't really have many allies on the board. Now, she's been able to work with some people, but there have been very big things that they've sparred on in terms of like the city's homelessness response in particular, um, and also housing. Um, so what's, I, so when you like, the last few years that I've covered these elections, it's almost impossible to tease out the differences between these candidates. A lot of the time they say, everyone will say, we have dirty streets, we want to clean them up. Um, we, you know, need to build more housing. Uh, you know, we need to make it easier for small businesses. Everyone on the surface has the same platforms. But what, what you really, what really makes a difference is when you look at um, when they say when the, they, when they say they want to build more housing, it's how they actually want to build that housing and what they want to build. So really, I would say housing is, is on the ballot for these, for these elections. Um, so there's 22 candidates in these six races. One race is unopposed, and that's to first supervisor Hillary Ronan um, in District 9, who oversees the mission. Um, and then we have a few other incumbents. We have Supervisor Aaron Peskin um, in District 3 is running again for re-election. This would be his third term. He's, he's been around for a while. Even more than that. It would be, it would be his fourth term. Um, and then we have Supervisor Asha Safai in District 11. Um, I would say the most notable ones. Um, oh, and sorry, we have Supervisor Dean Preston in, in District 5 also. The most notable ones, I would say, are District is District 1 and District 7. Um, so District 1, uh, that district is the Richmond. And the two main candidates in that race really represent both sides of this housing debate that I was talking about. So we have Connie Chan, who has been endorsed by Supervisor Sandra Lee Fewer. Um, and she holds a lot of the same values as, um, as Supervisor Fewer in that the housing that they see that she would allow to be built in the Richmond has to be 100% affordable. Um, now, you always, uh, the big tension in San Francisco is, do we have a mix of market rate housing to help subsidize the affordable housing, or do we just go for 100% affordable housing? And Connie falls on that 100% affordable housing. Um, where Marjan Philhauer, who was um, a senior advisor to Mayor London Breed, so she would be an ally uh, to the mayor if she was elected. Um, she's someone who would like to see all types of housing built. The idea there that the more you build, the more supply you have, and then naturally the housing prices will come down. Um, and then District 7, um, that includes neighborhoods like Park Merced, Parkside, Forest Hill, West Portal, um, it's an area of like a lot of homeowners and, and families. And you have um, Velasca Gwynn, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, so he is probably the most progressive candidate in the race, where he says one of the only ways for San Francisco to like stabilize a rental market is to build city-owned housing, which would be a very expensive Thing for the city that would likely cost billions of dollars and require substantial rezoning. But his point there is that if we are going to build it, it has to be affordable. Um, and then the rest uh, generally support a mix of housing. We have Myrna Melgar, Joel Engardio, Ben Matranga, Emily Marais. Um, and then there's one other candidate, Ken Piper, and I've never heard someone say this before. He said he is not in favor of any housing in District 7 that is solely affordable. And yeah, so that was a, a novel take in, in these races. So yeah, it's really in the, in your districts, it's really housing that's on the ballot there. 
Great, thanks. We have a former member of the Board of Supervisors, Scott Weiner, running to serve another term in the State Senate. And he is a strong challenger in Jackie Fielder. Before we discuss that race, let's take a look at a campaign ad from the Weiner campaign. Our nation has never had a more dangerous and corrupt president than Trump. He's harming our basic values, giving rise to hate, and he's selling out America to big corporations. I'm working to protect immigrants, women, communities of color, and LGBTQ people. And I'm making corporations like PG&E and insurance companies play by our rules. We need experienced leadership to wipe away Trump's stain on America for good. So actually, he is not running against Donald Trump. He is running <laughs> against Jackie Fielder. Dustin, can you describe both of these candidates and what you're making of this race? Sure. Um, yeah, th there's a surprisingly strong contest in this race. This is Senate District 11, State Senate District 11, which is San Francisco, and then a couple of areas just uh, south of the city. Um, and, you know, I think that kind of the adage that a, a that a progressive in San Francisco is conservative, sorry, progressive in Sacramento is a uh, conservative in, Sa in San Francisco. I think that adage really holds up in this race because, um, you know, Scott Weiner is really seen as one of the most progressive people at the state capitol in, in Sacramento. He definitely is, takes on some of the more uh, progressive leaning bills in, in, in the state capitol. Um, you know, but back in his district, there's a lot of progressives in the city that, you know, that feel like that Scott Weiner is not progressive enough. Um, and that really is kind of the, the tact that um, his opponent, Jackie Fielder, Fielder has taken. Um, and they're, they're very different uh, in many ways. Um, you know, Scott Weiner is a 50-year-old gay attorney. Jackie Fielder is 25. She's an ethnic studies instructor. She's been in the city for a handful of years. Um, but she really has, you know, kind of taken Weiner on and saying that she thinks he is too, um, too willing to negotiate with, with real estate developers or police and, you know, just saying that he hasn't gone far enough. Um, one, one issue, for example, where she's taken him on is the state budget. The state made a lot of cuts as, it, uh, as the budget was hit by the pandemic. She said that Wiener should have opposed a lot of those cuts and done more reserve funding for social services. Um, she's attacked him for supporting um, expanding the police force when he was on the board of supervisors. Um, and, you know, Wiener, uh, I think like you pointed out with the ad, Wiener really hasn't um, been running against Jackie Fielder. He's, um, he's emphasized running against Donald Trump. He hasn't, you know, he hasn't really taken her on very much. He has in some instances said, you know, I'm focused on getting things done. Um, I'm not someone who's new to the city, which is kind of an inference that she doesn't really have the, the longevity in the community that he has. Um, but generally speaking, yeah, he really has tried to make it, make it about President Trump and focusing on his brand as a senator versus kind of responding to the attacks he's been receiving. Okay. And now we'll turn it over to Joe Garofoli for a bit to take a look at the national political scene. Yes, I wanted to uh, see, first of all, ask our audience, are, are you enjoying this? Are you, uh, do, let's hear it. <laughs> oh, I can, yeah. I, can, yeah, I can hear the applause. I can, I can see people leaping out of their Barca loungers. Well, there's, there's good news because there are more road to 2020 events uh, coming up. And let's, I want to preview some of them that are coming up. Uh, on April, uh, I'm sorry, April, August, uh, October 15th. We don't even know what day it is anymore. On October 15th, our friend, uh, uh, Chronicle East Bay columnist, Otis Taylor, will be leading an event called Race on the Ballot. He will be in conversation with Sarah Truhaf. She's the Vice President of Research at Policy Link. Dr. Jason Williams is an Assistant Professor of Justice Studies at Montclair State University. And Deborah Gorman, President and CEO of the Greenlining Institute here in the Bay Area. Uh, their discussion will address systemic racism in housing, criminal justice, and income inequality. On October 21st, do I, do I hear any W. Kamau Bell fans in the, in the house? Because he will be here in conversation with me. He's a hilarious uh, comedian, not just comedian, but a, a social commentator. He's the host of the Emmy award-winning award CNN show, United Shades of America. He and I will be chatting on October 21st. And on November 2nd, the night before the election, we're all going to be like, oh my God, I can't, I, when is this, what's going to happen? When, I, we're going to have Ajita. <laughs> come here because to kill the time, if nothing else, because our guest will be former California Governor Jerry Brown. 
he and I will be in conversation. Jerry's run for president like 17 times. <laughs> so he's, he will let insight into what the process is like, what the national scene's like. He'll talk about the, the state ballot, uh, ballot initiatives. If you haven't decided by then, I'm sure he's got opinions on ones, particularly uh, Prop 25. Uh, and most importantly, he'll, he'll talk about climate change. He has become an international leader on that. He will be joining us for his, from his ranch in Calusa County. He'll tell us about the, the tomatoes he's grown. Uh, so come and join us on November 2nd. Uh, uh, one more plug, and that's for something new that we're trying at the Chronicle. We're trying one of our first podcast series. The series is called Chronicled, and it will be on Senator Kamala Harris. It's a three-part series looking at basically, for the most part, how the Bay Area shaped her. You know, she grew up in Berkeley. She was San Francisco District Attorney, California Attorney General, and then she was elected uh, to the U.S. Senate from California and uh, ran for president that didn't work out so well. But now she's a uh, 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 vice presidential nominee, could be the vice president. I'm putting together this series with uh, Tal Copen, our Washington correspondent, Otis Taylor, and it's being produced by the King, King Kaufman, our podcast star here. Now, uh, remember when I told you that October 15th event that Otis is hosting? Uh, that is the same night as the, president, as the next presidential debate. So you have a choice. You could be listening to really smart and, 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 and engage in smart conversation, or you could be watching this. It was brought up by some of your Democratic colleagues in, well, the, in the Congress. So my question to you is, you have refused in the past to talk about it. Are you willing to tell the American people tonight whether or not you will support either ending the filibuster or packing the court. Whatever position I take in that, that'll become the issue. The issue is the American people should speak. You should go out and vote. You're in voting now. Vote and let your senators know how you strongly you feel. Court? Let Vote now. Are you pack the Make court? sure you, in fact, let people know he doesn't want you're to senator. The question. I'm not going to answer the question. Why because, would you answer that because question? Because the you question is, the question is, the radical question, left. Will you who shut is up, on, man? Listen, who is on your list, Joe? This Who's is on your so right. Gentlemen, this is, I think this we've is ended so this. Unprecedented. We have ended, no, no. We have ended this segment. We're going to move on to the second segment. That was really a productive segment, wasn't it? <laughs> Keep okay. yapping, man. The people understand, Joe. <laughs> they sure 47 do. years, you've Joe, done nothing. They understand. Oh, right. So that was painful. We're sorry to, to have to put you through that again. So as a sort of a thank you, an apology of sorts, we have randomly selected <laughs> 10 of you, 10 viewers right there, in, in Zoom land to get a, a very special Chronicle t-shirt, just like I'm sporting right now. Hopefully you'll be sporting it better than I do. The Chronicle will be mailing them out to you. And here are our winners. Jeffrey F. of Oakland. Yay. Elizabeth L. of San Francisco. Susan M. of Pleasant Hill. Devani A. of Marina. The Marina? Marina? The Marina? Rodney S. of Scotts Valley. Tara S. of Pacifica, Kathleen B. of Belvedere, K.P., like K-A-Y-P, of Napa, Melanie D. of Oakland, and Kirk P. of San Francisco. The Chronicle, again, will be mailing those out to you. Congratulations. Spread the good word of the Chronicle. <laughs> Thank you so much all for being here. We, we were talking, uh, as soon as we pulled this plant panel together, we we're also psyched. And it was bittersweet because, number one, we wish we could all do it together. And then because usually after these things, you know, we go out and have a beer and a burrito and we laugh and, and such. But we also miss you guys. Um, and we, we love interacting with the readers. We love seeing you and, and chatting with you. You always have a lot to say to us in person and, and often some good story ideas. So uh, as much as we miss each other and not being able to work with each other, we haven't seen each other in six months for the most part. Uh, we, we miss uh, you. Uh, we miss all of seeing all of you in person, these things. And hopefully, you know, we get a cure to this damn thing and we can all see each other soon. All right. Now for some calming words about voting, a couple of things to keep in mind. It's not just election day this year because of, it's going to take a while to, to count the votes. It's election season. We won't know the results um, uh, for some race in California for perhaps weeks. Uh, I, had, I had Alex Padilla, the Secretary of State, he's on a new episode of It's All Political, dropping tonight, I believe, uh, and he talks all about that. So check that out, and, it's, and it's, uh, he's a very measured dude, and he, he'll, he'll have some calming words and some scary ones, too. Uh, you can always keep track of the results every step of the way here at 
at sfchronicle.com slash vote. And speaking of voting, Heather, tell us about some of the safe ways that we can vote. Yes, despite what you may have heard, um, you should all vote. It's safe to do so. Um, there are plenty of ways to do that. Every Californian will get a vote by mail ballot in the coming days, so watch for that. You can fill it out whenever you want to before election day. You can drop it in a mailbox if they haven't been removed from your neighborhood. Um, take it to local ballot centers. Many counties are offering special centers that are um, popping up, including one new today outside of City Hall that apparently looks like a big white party tent, like maybe you'd see a wedding in, but it's for voting. Um, you can drop them at your regular polling place on November 3rd, um, or you can vote in person wearing a mask and social distancing, of course. There are lots of ways to do so, and your local Department of Elections can explain all of that. And you have until October 19th to register to vote. And um, by the way, Tricia Thadani has a great article up on sfchronicle.com now about this big voting party tent and more details about how to vote where, when, and all that good stuff, sfchronicle.com. And remember that regardless of what the president has told you, voting by mail is safe and reliable. And we decided our theme for tonight is keep calm and vote on. And we also had a very important question, which is if you did not win a t-shirt, can you buy one? And the answer is yes. Go to sfchronicle.com and find our store and it's available for sale there. So, um, that is our show for tonight. Remember a few things. Visit sfchronicle.com slash election events for a very cool array of events coming up. Also visit sfchronicle.com slash vote starting on Tuesday for the complete voter guide. Remember to vote and thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thanks to my colleagues Joe Garofoli, Trisha Thadani, and Dustin Gardner for being part of this episode. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing it. And thank you for listening.